This week we're on chapter 3 of Micah, and I've titled it, Woe to the Priest, the Prophets, and the Powerful. Uh, This section, much like chapter 1, has no hope again, so I get get all the depressing chapters, and Fallon gets all the fun chapters. I know, I know. When we were planning this out, she must have snuck ahead and... (laughs) Uh, So we'll go ahead and read through Micah chapter 3. And I've got some commentary along the way. And I said, Hear, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? And this is a rhetorical question. Of course, it is for them to know justice. The rulers of the house of Israel are the priests. That's who he's talking about, the religious leaders. Um, And, of course, it is their responsibility as religious leaders. God has shown them what justice is and expected them to follow these things. Um, You know, this line, it it almost makes me think about, if you guys have seen the movie Just Mercy, um, highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. Just Mercy. Um, And it's about a lawyer. um, uh Uh-huh. Just Mercy. Um, And it's about a lawyer in um, Alabama who is working to get prisoners off of death row. It's a book. It's a book. Yes, the book is... (laughs) The book is... The book is amazing. It goes into so much detail. The movie follows one storyline that is kind of the highlight of the book, but the book goes into much more depth about the justice system. But essentially what happens is a huge miscarriage of justice. Um, In this town... The whole, the the sheriff, the the jury, everyone conspired against a, an innocent man to convict him of a murder that he had nothing to do with. And there were probably a hundred eyewitnesses that had him at his own home at a fish fry that day. They paid off people to um, to testify against him. Um, while he was awaiting trial, they went ahead and placed him on death row, which he should have been in a county jail, not on death row. Like, absolutely unheard of. Every step of the way, injustice after injustice after injustice by the very people who are supposed to be the carriers of justice. So when it's the judge that, or your jury or your sheriff who are supposed to be the ones that are making sure justice is served, that are so egregiously abusing their power... Where do you turn? And that's essentially what Micah is saying here is this is your job. You have been entrusted to, to seek justice for this community, and you're perverting that to such a degree that now God has to intervene. Um, so that's, that was a long rant for verse 1, but, <laughs> but that's just what that, that made me think of. So you who hate the good and love the evil... So, of course, justice means loving the good and hating the evil, seeking, they've turned it completely on its head. Who tear the skin from, from off my people and their flesh from off the bones. Who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. This is really graphic, really disturbing imagery. But I think Micah is being very purposeful here because I think these leaders are thinking, this is no big deal. So what? We cheat a little bit. So what? We accept a bribe here and there. We're not bad people. But what Micah is saying is, no, actually what you're doing is, is like cannibalism. What you're doing is 
not seeing the image of God in your neighbor. And it's just as bad as if you were to be grinding up their bones and using them for your own soup. And here's what I found. Oh, up. I wasn't asking you. I'm serious. <laughs> <laughs> she's she's looking that up for us. So yeah, exactly. So um, the, you know they're they're treating people like they're not made in the image of God. So so he's using some very graphic detail to remind them this isn't this isn't a little sin like you think. It's almost like Jesus saying. You've heard it said not to murder. I tell you not to even hate. You know, that what's in your heart, even though we may think it's a little thing, is actually a really big thing. And I think that's part of Micah's point here. Another part of this... Are you done? No, yeah, go for it. Another part of this imagery is that some scholars think it's more of a reflection of um, animal slaughterhouse. So it might not be that Micah is trying to convey cannibalism, but that they are treating the people, as Becky said, as animals, which, of course when you consider kosher laws would be extremely offensive um, and kind of adds to the graphicness of this um, and and the idea that they're violating the, sac- the sanctity and sacredness of specifically human life by sending humans to the slaughter as if like animals is um, really graphic. And I think it's profound that God, obviously this isn't literal, obviously there weren't leaders who were actually doing this with people but, um, but the fact that God sees the injustice against these people that did lead to death and did lead to significant bodily harm, like it wasn't just ideas that offended, you know, like these, this was, these were sins that resulted in, in death and har- physical harm, um, God sees it like that. And that's really, yeah, really profound. Yeah, absolutely. There are... Um Many that argue that the reason that God is so opposed to um, to having graven images, having idols that are there in place of God, is because God has already placed God's image on earth in the eyes of every single person you encounter. So you don't create something that's supposed to represent God. You're supposed to remember every single person that you run into is a little piece of God, and you should treat them that way. And so they're... You know, these people who are the religious scholars who've gone to school, who know this kind of thing, are um, are the ones that are treating people like they do, like they are not made in the image of God. Then they will cry to the Lord, but He will not answer them. He will hide His face from them at that time, because they have made their deeds evil. Let's see. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. So essentially what he's saying here is you're preaching what people want to hear. If, if uh, someone is giving you money, you have good things to preach to them, good things to prophesy about. If, someone, if these poor oppressed people do not have funds to give you, then you're, say, you're adding insult to injury by also not standing on the side of them. So it's kind of the question of, it's forcing us to ask ourselves whose side is God on when there is injustice and whose side should the prophet be on? Whose side should the priest and the prophet be on when injustice occurs? Therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. 
The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced, and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. So what's interesting is in other places in scripture, um, groups of people like seers and diviners um, are are put into the separate category from prophets. Prophets are the ones that hear from God. The others are, are kind of meddling with some, some things that really don't mean a lot. Um, but Micah is putting them all together, saying, no, actually none of you hear from God. Prophets, priests, you may think that you're a step above, but you're actually not. God is going to completely remove his voice from all of this. There, you'll be putting your hands over your mouth. There's nothing to say because there's nothing for you to hear. There's no actual word in the Hebrew for a false prophet. Like, that word doesn't exist in the Hebrew. Like, false prophets and real prophets are all just called prophets. Um, But obviously, the idea is here. Like, there are prophets who claim to be prophets who claim to speak in the name of Yahweh, and obviously, we're not. And so, the the idea is here, um, which might be why they're kind of lumped in with the seers and diviners. Um, But, yeah. Also, it's interesting because, like, there's this theme here, too, of hiddenness, where God is, like, God falls silent, God hides God's face, God is hidden from these people, and so, like, it's almost like God is removing God's self from the situation, and so the natural consequences of what they have done against these people will be playing out, which is what Micah has been alluding to for the last two chapters. Yep, Absolutely. So as Fallon said, there's, there's these false prophets who are not going to be hearing from God, but then we also have Micah. As for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. So essentially what he's saying is, you know, God is not speaking to you anymore, but I am filled with the spirit of God and I'm preaching a message you don't want to hear. So just because it's... Just because it's not a message of happiness or peace or prosperity doesn't mean that it's not from God. God is removing God's voice from those of you who are plugging your ears from it anyway and choosing to hear and see what you want. And God is going to give his power and his spirit to a person who's actually willing to listen to it. And that that Hebrew of the first few words there in verse 8 is a very emphatic way of saying, but I, I have said all these things about you, and then all the following language is very parallel to what was just talked about, like justice, like you are not just, I am just, like I represent God's justice, and um, you're covering your mouth, I'm declaring. Exactly, like there's a lot of parallel language in this where Micah is setting himself apart from the false prophets as a true prophet. And it's also kind of, you know, I think it was in chapter two where, um, where they were saying, stop preaching, stop, stop saying this, mm-hmm. preach no more, you're not allowed to say these things. What he's, his response to that is, not only am I allowed to say these things, I'm, I'm the only one who has anything to say from God right now because the rest of you have sold out to bribery and idolatry and injustice, and I actually am the one that, am, that is being faithful to what God is saying. Mm-hmm. Um, Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe, its priests teach for a price, its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, 
Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. So one of the things uh, that it's important to note about Micah um, is that the punishment fits the crime. God's voice goes away because people don't want to hear it. Um, this injustice is what is going to cause these heaps. You know, you have built these cities with blood. Therefore, I'm going to completely raz this city down to the ground. Um, so the punishment very much fits the crime. Um, it's the sort of the natural um, cycle of what would take place when these kinds of things happen. Um, and it's also important to note, too, um, that one of the marks of a prophet is that what the prophet says comes true. That's how you know uh, this is a, a prophet from God. Uh, and there's a lot about what Micah says that comes true. But this last verse, these last two verses, um, they do not. So in Micah's time, at least, or even even close after Micah, um, Jerusalem does not become a heap of ruins. Um, and Zion is not plowed as a field. And so there are some people that think that this is because of the faithful remnant, that um, this would have been what happened if they had continued. The, there is no stopping this army that's on its way, but God is faithful and God is just. And if you turn back to God, there is some sort of redemption. And so some people think that this is kind of alluding to that. Like it could have been a lot worse, um, but you, you turned back a little bit. Um, but another, and others suggest that, well, he's just prophesying much, much further out because this does happen uh, with the Babylonians and then, of course, with Rome as well. And so it's kind of a question of, well, how far... How far out is he talking about? So there's a few few different ways you can read this. Yeah. So. And and the way in which they were, some, some scholars think that Micah was the reason that Hezekiah implemented his reforms during his reign, which addressed a lot of the most significant injustices that were happening and returned to a lot of the, the laws of that were concerned with justice, for, especially for the poor and with land and things like that. From the old from the from the Torah, from the Hebrew Bible, from the laws. Um, and, and so it's possible that Hezekiah, it's because of Micah's prophecies that Hezekiah implemented those reforms, and that's why it didn't come true. And like Becky said, it's also possible that this was a, a, a prophecy farther in the future. Jeremiah used Micah at one point. Do you remember the details of that? No. It, I, it might have to do with this prophecy, and I can't remember exactly, but Jeremiah at some point uses Micah as a way of... Um, of justifying his own prophecy. Um, yeah. But I Be forgot the details. Because this would have been very seditious sounding behavior. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things I think is interesting about this too is, you know, we talked earlier about, again, there's parallels. When, when you don't listen to God, God is going to remove God's voice from you. When you build up your cities on the backs of, of the, the oppressed, God is going to wipe out your city. Um, and then there's, there's also, um, you know, at the beginning we talked about the land uh, being kind of grabbed up by the powerful and the, the time of Jubilee not, 
not getting it back to, to the proper hands to the ancestral owners and things like that. And so this is almost a God-imposed jubilee um, where God is saying, okay, you're, you're not doing these things, so I'm, we're starting from scratch on all of this. Like, none of you are going to have this land. It's going to be completely destroyed, um, and there's a foreign army that's actually going to take over it uh, unless you change your ways. Um, and that, that kind of makes me think of, there's a book called um, Sacred Rhythms by Ruth Haley Barton, and she talks about this rhythm of rest and Sabbath. And she, she says, when you don't rest, rest comes after you. Mm-hmm. If you've ever played a sport and you don't give yourself time to rest, if you're a runner and you don't take days off, eventually you're going to have to because you're going to be injured and you're not going to be able to keep running. So you're going to, rest will be forced on you. Um, if you work uh, 80, 90 hour a week, you're, you're going to get a cold and you're going to be in bed for a while recovering because rest is a requirement. So if you're not building rest in, it's going to come after you. Um, and I've heard a lot of people talk about how COVID kind of feels like one of those things where, you know, our culture is one of such busyness and performance and work harder, do more, um, your, your value comes from how much you produce, and COVID just kind of put a pause on all of that and reminded us all, no, rest is good. Spending time with family is good. Our jobs are not what define us. That's not the most important thing. So sometimes um, there are, uh, I, I don't know, I want to be careful what I blame on, on God, and sometimes we can look at situations and think, oh, how, how might I be benefiting from from this time, or what can I learn from from what's going on? Maybe, maybe a weekly Sabbath is beneficial. I do. I do kind of like this whole spending time with family, or uh, you know, not not being so busy and going to from school to soccer practice to piano lessons to dinner to bed and just do it all over again and never get to you know spend time together. So, any any other thoughts? Um, I remembered that in the first section right before he talks like gives that graphic imagery of um of animals being sent to the slaughterhouse or cannibalism that graphic violence imagery there's a there's a quote in deuteronomy that parallels a lot of the language of the accusations that the judges and the the, and the leaders are um directly violated an explicit law of God in Deuteronomy 16. In verse 18 it says, appoint, this is Deuteronomy 16, 18, appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town the Lord your God has given you, and they shall judge the people fairly. Do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the innocent. Follow justice and justice alone, so that you may live and possess the land your Lord is giving you. And so many of the themes in there parallel what Mike is talking about, especially I would say in this chapter, though I think kind of more broadly. And of course, that's a a representative theme even in Deuteronomy, who which explores those themes over and over and over again. Um, and so I think I, you know God is saying like it's not like I, this is coming out of nowhere like these are explicit laws for justice and righteousness that I've given to you and you are violating them so yeah yeah um, do any of you before I go on to the next slide uh, which will kind of give away what I'm talking about are any of you guys on Instagram oh you're missing out friends you're missing out so much 
No, you're not. You're probably way better off for it. But, <laughs> but there's this one account called Preachers and Sneakers, and it's hilarious because it's this guy that uh, takes screenshots of, of you know, TV preachers or preachers at big churches, and and then goes and finds how much their shoes cost. <laughs> And y'all, it's ridiculous. And so hearing the, 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 these stories, and a lot of these are prosperity gospel type ministers who, who assume that their wealth is coming from God instead of the fact that they are maybe duping um, hopeless people into giving them money so that they will be blessed by God. Uh, and so I, I thought that paralleled very nicely with these prophets and these preachers who preached peace to those with money, um, but condemnation against those without. And so I was gonna, I was gonna play this little preachers and sneakers. Preachers and sneakers. Preachers, the the, the letter N, sneakers. Whose voice you value determines your standard of success. Or is there somebody in here who is oh waiting? Oh, that's so loud. Where's my? <laughs> here we go. Okay, all right. For applause from the wrong person, obscurity is not the enemy. It doesn't matter if they know your name. It matters if you know what is inside of you. Blessed is the man who does not need the approval of people because I already got it from God. Do your thing. I love that. You don't need approval from other people, only from God. And then he's got this shirt right here, and it's hard to see, but that shirt costs four hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> it's not funny, but it's kind of funny. And then this guy with his sneakers that cost one thousand fifty dollars. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yep. Yep. And then it's very interesting to me too. Um, this comment right here. It's so ironic, right? Rappers and celebrities walk around iced out. Uh, doctors and lawyers can have the finest suites and drive exotic cars, but when a pastor wears something nice, that's wrong? Question mark. Yes, that's precisely <laughs> that's precisely Micah's point. Those of you have, who have been entrusted with this responsibility from God, with this with this task of leading the people of God. You're held to a different standard than other people. If you, if you proclaim to be hearing from God and this is your lifestyle, maybe you're not hearing the right things from God. Not that wealth is bad. Uh, and at the same time, what is the most important to you? Uh, whose applause do you need? Good sir. <laughs> so anyway, I thought that was ironic and a little bit funny. Maybe, maybe <laughs> worth, <laughs> worth sharing. <laughs> so... Yeah, now you guys get on Instagram, follow preachers and sneakers. You're you're in for a treat. <laughs> oh, okay, so uh, now we get into our discussion time. So, what stood out to you from this chapter? More darkness. Yes, 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 absolutely. If you're, yeah, yeah. Which you know, still Yeah. That, really. Right. I mean, honestly, you look, it's just everywhere you look, you know, yes. Approaches think one way and act another. Absolutely. I'm guilty of it now. Oh. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we really don't. We really don't care about 
some people do. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we address it for a little while and then it just goes away. But yeah. there are folks that use yeah. Fallon and I attend a, a little church on Sunday nights called All Saints Church of Christ, and it's a liturgical church. And there's one particular um, prayer of confession that we pray occasionally. There's a few different ones we use, but one of them uses the line, um, "We can't even live up to our own ideals," and and we're confessing that all of these things that we prefer best to be true we can't even live up to those things and every time I hear that it just like it just feels like a gut punch like man how can I how can I be so proud and arrogant to expect other people to live up to what I think they should live up to when I can't even do that um, yeah yeah absolutely Absolutely. Yeah. So, right. Well, and interestingly, to the point where you know you said there's this is all gloom and doom. Um, there are some scholars who say that the hope in um, that comes after chapter three and even that little bit at the end of chapter two was actually written in exile. It was added on by, by either Micah or another prophet at a different time to give people hope mm -hmm. because, um, you know, when you're in the middle of a tirade about how you should change, it softens it too much in some people's view to say, but there's actually hope. Mm -hmm. Micah's wanting change, not to remind you that there's hope. Um, and so it's interesting that I, I find that fascinating, um, and of course, and of course, there's no how how would we know? There's great arguments for and great arguments against, <laughs> but um, but I do think it's interesting that once people go into exile, they no longer need this judgment. They need a little bit of hope um, about what what the future holds, and so the prophet um, um, adjusts his word to the people in order to remind them that hope always has the final word. And that what, but still what they're experiencing is just yes. because they committed grace and against yes. the justice of God. So. Absolutely. So how might we apply all of this today? Should we? If so, how? I'm trying to envision remnant back then. Mm. And what, what, how they heard that. Like sometimes we try to consider ourselves a remnant in today's world. Right. Is he talking to a third world country? Of course we're not a third world country. Well, and no, I think at this time, I mean, certainly they were not a huge empire like the Assyrians or the Babylonians, but I think there were, there, there was definitely wealth and there was definitely some technological advancements and things like that. Not for everybody, of course. It does. We do see that there's some some pretty grave inequities, um, but but I do think that that this is aimed at 
those who are in positions of power that are oppressing. This is not aimed at those that are oppressed. Although the punishment comes for them too, which I have a question for that later about how we re- how we reconcile that. So, but we'll ignore that for now. We'll get to that question it's later. Like in this country, I mean, we have some opportunities. About if you can't make it in this country, you can't make it in any country. Hmm. We have opportunities everywhere. You just have to get the training that you need to do the work. There's jobs everywhere. You just have to get the right training. And who has access to that training? Get that. Right. The opportunities are endless. Yeah. But over there, back in those days, there was hierarchies. And right. And, and again, who Micah is talking to are the people in in positions of leadership, in positions of wealth and power. He's not talking to those who don't have power. He's he's reminding people, this is how this is how you live out Torah in every aspect of your life. Um, if you if you claim to be part of this um, holy priesthood, this is how you should be behaving. Um, how did he actually talk to people? Huh? How did he actually talk to people? Uh, it would have been from town to town, going into going into town squares and and preaching so the, to people. These themes would have been like compiled into writing over time, possibly by Micah, possibly by others. But he would have verbalized yeah. it first. Like it's not that he wrote it down and then it was distributed. Like we well, <laughs> it is, and it's all. It, it would almost be like the the circuit preachers uh-huh. uh, back in the day who would go from, you know, every preacher could, every town couldn't afford a preacher, and so the same preacher would go from town to town preaching the same sermon. Mm-hmm. Might change a little thing here or there, might know a little something that's going on in this city, and so maybe kind of speaking directly to somebody that's doing something. Mm-hmm. But, and then later you would compile all the works of so-and-so into this work, yeah. um, and, and, and none of that is verbatim what was said in any of those things, yeah. Yeah. but it was but it was all also said in all you of those things. How you got them all together when if somebody didn't want to hear right. this person, why would he come there? Right. Lots of town squares and things like that, city yep. gates, things like that would be yep. densely, um, like, have a lot of traffic going through. And particularly for the people he was talking to. Mm-hmm. If, you were a, if you were a religious leader, it was kind of your job to be sitting at the, at the temple or in those city gates passing judgment on things, waiting for things to be brought to you, that sort of thing. So there was, there was kind of no, no escaping it. But yes, yes, there absolutely, you know, if you didn't want to hear it, you could, you could walk away. Um, yeah. So. Which aren't, aren't we used to. Yeah. Plugging our ears to the things we don't want to hear. So, I, it's very clear that Micah holds the priests and the prophets to a higher standard. So how do we apply this in light of the words that we are a priesthood of all believers? That we all have the same access to God and we all form the body of Christ as a priesthood of believers. Does that does that, my question make sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> it's his turn. <laughs> I think we think there are certain people, preachers, 
who know more about whatever we're talking about. And um, we have a tendency to lean on that a little bit instead of our own knowledge and our own research and spending time doing that. And of course, we all have different degrees of that. But, mm -hmm. um, but I, I find that interesting because even when you hear Josh preach, he talks about talking to people and doing things mm -hmm. like that. And so that priesthood of all believers jumps out that we still have some of that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the life we live is, you know, that people hear that more than they do That's what right. we say a lot of times. That's right. People see you living the way you should, living like Jesus. I heard a little, funny, kind of a funny little story. Um, somebody named Jim was so good and, and kind and, and had helped this person. And, and uh, it was just amazing how... Uh, how much he looked up to Jim and later someone was telling him uh, about the good works of Jesus and how good Jesus was and he says well I've not I've heard of Jim but who's this Jesus you know mm -hmm. so he saw mm -hmm. Jesus in his friend mm -hmm. and I think that that a lot of times that's that's where people hear us yeah, yeah. I think that's an excellent point because what Micah is saying is those of you who profess to be um, part, you know, hearing from God, having a relationship with God, have a higher responsibility in how you live this out. You may be preaching all the right things, and if there is still injustice, if there is still inequity, if there is still oppression then what you're preaching doesn't even matter. And so I think the, the call to a priesthood of all believers is, where in my life can I model this? If I own my own business, how can I treat my workers fairly? If I live in a neighborhood, how can I be a good neighbor to the people around me? If I hold um, you know, some sort of uh, manager position, how can I treat the people under me um, with respect and dignity? So looking in your own life and saying, where can I live out what Jesus called us to uh, and what, what Micah calls us to as far as loving other people and seeing other people in the image of God rather than using them for our own benefit. That's, that's what he's upset about. The, the, the imagery of you know, chopping up an animal and it, you're using it for your own benefit. You're, you're turning it into something that you can consume. People are not to be consumed. So in what areas of your life May you be treating people like a commodity, and how can you, as a priesthood, stop that? Mm -hmm. I think is, is maybe the call. Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts? What do we make of the silence of God? Daddy may or may not have told you what mine did. It said, if you can't say something good, be quiet. <laughs> there was a time when the people were so bad, he just let them go. And then, you know, the other saying is, you don't miss something until it's gone. And they started oh. looking for him. Oh. And there was that 400 years yeah. that there was nothing. Yeah. It's a long time. Absolutely. 
I bet Joel Osteen never preached from Micah. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect you're right. <laughs> there's also a, a, if you're on Twitter, there's a Twitter account called Osteen or Panda. And uh, it's giving quotes by Joel Osteen and Panda Express uh, fortunes, and you have to guess which one. Is which. <laughs> it is surprisingly difficult, friends. <laughs> really funny. I need to get off the internet, <laughs> obviously. I have heard of email. <laughs> I like to think of this uh, silence almost sometimes. I think about your parents and you. And, uh, you know, they're always telling you what to do, and then all of a sudden you're in a situation and they're not telling you what to do. And you have to decide for yourself. Mm, yeah. And that's quite a teaching. Yeah. And you, you should have their voice in your head. You should remember, oh, this is how I was raised. This is how I was trained. That's a good point. In, in music, when you have um, a rest, there are times in music where, where that, that moment of silence, like after a really loud sound that the orchestra makes all together and then there's a rest or a silence, sometimes that is just as loud as the music because of the difference and, and the, the feeling that you get from that. And so I think that God's silence still says something, still communicates a whole lot um, in this moment. So. Silence isn't the same as abandonment. That's right. That's a good point. Yep. <clears throat> Whose side does God take when injustice reigns? For whom should the prophet play the role of advocate? <laughs> we don't have to go in a straight line. <laughs> God always takes the, the, the side of the, of the offended, I think. Right. You know, when injustice happens, he's, he's there. But I think he doesn't always just fix things. I think he counts on us to kind of be the, the goers and doers and calling things what they are. Yeah. Just, you know, not politically correct mm. a lot of times. Yeah. But we still, there's nothing that, that hurts you more than to watch someone be treated unfair. Yeah. Nothing, really. If you, just, if, you, if you watch something going on and it doesn't move you, then you need, you need some help. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess that's where we, if we are prophets, which I suppose we are, because we all have that ability to, if we so choose. We are all filled with the Spirit of God. Mm -hmm. So, if we if we play out our role the way we should, then, then it's, it's on us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and wherever our stage is, that's where we play. That's right. You know, I don't know that you have to 
like a trip to anywhere. There's injustice within earshot. That's right. Mm -hmm. uh, sure. But it's just that, you know, do we go looking for it? I don't know. I'm, I'm asking you this yeah. one. Do we go looking for injustice so we can fix it? Mm. Is that is that a prophet thing or a Jesus thing to look at, you know, search out injustice? Yeah. Or is it just if it happens on our path? Mm. When, when are we responsible? Yeah. I think I think you said a lot when you said God takes the side of the oppressed and God sometimes relies on us to step in and care about the things that God cares about. Mm -hmm. um, and none of us can care about all the things. Mm -hmm. In our world today, the clothes you wear, the food you eat, the car you drive, the cell phone in your hand, the coffee you had for breakfast this morning, the chocolate that you're going to buy to hand out to kids at Halloween, every bit of it is participating in injustice in the world. And to care and to actively care about all of that would be exhausting. And so find the one thing. And numbing. You would yeah, numbing yeah, absolutely. You would, you would stop caring about all of it. So find the one thing that gets that fire going in your belly and see how you can participate with God in what God is doing to bring justice in them. In that. You know, those who are are doing the injustice, and God allows them. It's funny, He allows those. But it may not be that they started out that way. Yeah. But they are probably movers and shakers. But you do have to have those if you're going to have a, a society. you got to have somebody that puts people to work and invents things and does that, but after a while, I think they probably get a little bit big headed, yep. and yep. then they try to take advantage of yeah. less fortunate. Absolutely. When we forget that our gifts are given to us for the sake of expanding God's kingdom and serving others, and we start to use our own gifts for self-aggrandizement and accumulation, um, we are perverting the good things that God has given us. I think, too, that the people who the injustice has been done to, um, they don't think God's on their side mm. a lot of the time. Mm. Um, I've read so many, you know, just this book I was referring to earlier about that, that, that uh, family. Those people were desperate. Yeah. And they didn't feel like God was there for them. And uh, maybe later, some of them, you know. And then people who are in prison, um, who are innocent, you know. Yeah. Uh, some people have spent years in prison, and they don't see God on their side. So I think that's a hard, a hard concept sometimes yeah. if you're the one being treated in just right. Well, and that's, that, that should, um, that fires me up when I hear that people, that people's view of God is shaped by how the church treats them. That reminds me that the church should, you know, I have a, so many friends who have been harmed by what the church has said. The legalistic ways that scripture has been applied to harm people rather than help people flourish 
Um, and when and when God gets lumped in with church sometimes, we can give God a bad name. Um, and so I think for me, that's that's why this is important is because it has to do with people's relationships with God. It has to do with my relationship with God because if I'm treating people poorly, then I don't have a good relationship with God because I don't, I'm not in good relationship with the image of God in my neighbor. And I'm also abusing that person's relationship with God because as a Christian, as part of a group of people that says we are part of what God is doing in the world, if what we're doing is harming people, um, that's giving God a bad name. Well, I have one more, one more question. We are, we are out of time, so we don't have to answer it, but maybe something to be thinking about. What do we do with the fact that those who are oppressed will also be unharmed in the invasions and subsequent exile? How do we, how do we reconcile that? End of class. <laughs> I expect you all to have an answer when we meet again next Sunday. <laughs> truly being abused then the exile might not be so bad. Huh. You know, might not. Could be worse. But that's just not 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah, if the end result is that things will be more just down the road, then then um, And not all of them are going to live to see it. Right. You know? Most of them won't. Yeah. They're exiled, and it may be three generations later. That's right. Yep. It's kind of hard. They they lived a tougher life than we did. Yeah. You know, if you woke up and you didn't have much because another country had taken us over. Uh Yeah. If somebody came in and wiped out your 401k and said, I'm sorry, the house that you've been paying on for 25 years actually belongs to me now. Please go somewhere else. Then we feel differently. And I do appreciate Helen's point. God's silence is not the same as abandonment. God, God followed them into exile. God never leaves God's people. And so there, even in exile, there is hope. Um, even even if it's hard to see, even if you know it's far, far down the road, there's still hope. You know, a friend of mine that I lived by, he was from Cuba, and when Castro took over, he was a veterinarian down there. He was a meat inspector here. We lived next to him. I'm Glenn Echo near Lipscomb. And uh, when he took over, four families moved into his house. Hmm. He had a good-sized house. So they, four families, uh, three other families, when they came in, they, they said, you, your family has to live down here in this little area, like a one-bedroom or something. And there's three more families moving in here. So they all moved in, and as quick as he could, he came to the U.S. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yep. This may not apply, but I always say, they used to have a saying back in the Second World War that there were no atheists in the Fatra. Suffering reminds you of who's in charge, huh? Well, and it goes it goes right back to that that concept of 
God is saying, none of this was ever yours to begin with. None of this wealth was ever yours to begin with. We just, I've just let you pretend for a little while that it's yours. But let's remember, it was always supposed to be in service to God in order to be a blessing to the nations. And if you're not going to do that, then it's going to be taken away. So it's, it's easy to think, oh, this, these are my things, when God is very clearly saying, what, what things? What things do you have? <laughs> what belongs to you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, thank you guys so much. I love our discussions. I love how, you know, we get to have such great discussions and everybody gets to participate. This has been lovely. So thank you. 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 Thank you.